America is in trouble. We've turned our backs on God, forsaking our history, and too easily succumb to tyrannical orders. Our problem seems overwhelming, but the solution is simple. It's time we return to the Lord in strict adherence to the Constitution of the United States. Welcome to the Constitution Solution, one podcast under God. We're your hosts, Mark Deluzio and Christy Tyrone. Now, let's get on with the show. Well, welcome to the Constitution Solution, one podcast under God. This is Mark Deluzio and my sidekick, or maybe I'm her sidekick, Christy Tyrone. Christy, how are you doing today? Good. How are you? Good, good. Are you uh, still ready to save America? Is that what you always say? Every day. <laughs> you got to keep fighting, right? That's right. Till we win. Till we get her back. We will. We will. I have faith. I have faith. Christy, um, this is episode 13. Can you imagine me this, this many episodes so far? And, We've uh, only just begun. Well, you know, the thing is, like you said, every time you look into one subject, you find five more to talk about or go even deeper into this. Uh, by the way, I was on a John Birch uh, uh, Society meeting the other night, and they complimented us on this podcast. Yay! Gold was... stars! That's great. It is a gold star because it's it's like, you know, those guys know the Constitution, and um, and that's what that organization is all about, right? And as a matter of fact, one of the episodes I'm going to do in the future was to go back to the Blue Book of Robert Welch that was written in 1958, how he predicted all the stuff that's going on now. And I'm going to go through that book. And I've already highlighted 500 times, but find out the things he said in that book and then compare it as to whether or not they really came true. And I think you're going to find that all the names he was called, you know, even back then he was called a racist and an anti-Semite and this, that, and any kind of phobia you can imagine. But huh. we're going to do that one too, Christy. I can't wait to do that one. That's going to be fun. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He was a visionary. Let me tell you. He knew what was going on. Christy. We're going to talk about executive orders today. Episode 13. Episode 14, you're going to talk about the egregious tyrants that inflicted all kinds of anti-freedom practices on us as it related to COVID. Is that correct? That's right. And, and the neat part about your episode is going to be, we're going to go back and reference this one quite a bit, because a lot of things that were done were done through executive fiat. Oh, I'm sorry. I meant to say executive order. I'm yeah, sorry, so this will be, it'll be good to reference back to this one for sure when I when I do that one. Was that a Freudian slip that I just made? <laughs> you think? No one will notice. Okay, so let's talk about executive orders. First of all, let's define what they are. An executive order is a directive by the president, and only by the president, by the way, of the United States that manages the operations of the federal government. Okay. okay. Only a president can issue an executive order. And you might hear the word proclamation, and in effect, a proclamation is an executive order as well. Although the nature of proclamations, um, to some degree, not in all cases, take more of a ceremonial effect. Uh, you know, we're going to dedicate the, this day as, uh, you know, whatever day. Uh, and you might think 
you know, proclamations really more directed towards citizens, where executive orders are usually directed in terms of the government, in terms of how the government operates. Okay. Now, George Washington issued a proclamation when he declared Thanksgiving a holiday. That's a nice one. That's a good proclamation. Yeah, there's not many that are really nice as far as, far as executive <laughs> orders go, but and what do you see what some of the things uh, that we found out? Yeah. And Thanksgiving, yeah, he, so he issued that by proclamation, okay, every third Thursday of uh, November. <clears throat> Happens to be one of my favorite times of year. Now, they remain in force forever unless canceled, revoked, or adjudicated by the Supreme Court that it's unlawful. Oh, okay. So they're subject to Supreme Court uh, scrutiny, if you will, just like any law would be. Okay. Right. A new president can cancel an EO, uh, an executive order, which is exactly what Biden did in his first week in office. He reversed 22 of President Trump's uh, executive orders. 22. In the first week. Right um, away. I remember. I remember a few of them. I was like, oh, there goes yeah. that. <laughs> now, I'll talk about some of them that he, he did. Now, it's a big controversy as to whether or not executive orders have constitutional standing. Okay. Now, Article 2, as we discussed in a previous podcast when we went through the, the, the different articles, has to do with the executive branch, which, again, I'm going to, you know, you know, bring back my friend Rush Limbaugh and say, you know, for those in Rio Linda, the executive branch is the president. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and... The Constitution gives them relatively broad executive authority and enforcement authority, in other words, enforcing the law, to use their discretion to determine how the laws get enforced, not what laws, but how they get enforced, and otherwise manage the resources of the executive branch. So the staff, unfortunately, the agencies that got created, you know. So you got to think about the president in one way. He's the chief executive officer of the government. So he runs the government, the day-to-day operations of the government. That's kind of what he does, right? And that's why they call it the executive branch. However, this is a really important part, and this is where some of the controversy comes in, Christy, is that the Constitution does not articulate a presidential right to issue a proclamation or an executive order. There's nothing in the Constitution that states that at all. Okay, and I'll, I'll get down a little bit later and tell you why it's called an executive order. It's a pretty interesting story. But like all laws, an executive order or proclamation needs to be supported by the Constitution. Okay? Yeah. They can have the force of law, believe it or not, provided its source of power, power is derived from Article 2 which outlines the specific powers of the executive branch. Okay. okay, so it coincides with what the president is enumerated to do. Yeah, you know, n- not too different from when uh, we say, well, you know, Congress can only write laws relative to their enumerated powers, which is spelled out mm-hmm. in, uh, in 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 Article 1, Section 8. There's seven, and I think we had a podcast on that. There were 17 enumerated powers, okay? And as we know, Congress goes outside those uh 
those confines mm-hmm. all the time. Okay, when they write all these different laws. Um, so first of all, it has to be uh, the the source of power for that EO or that executive order has to come from Article Two, okay, yeah. or be in concert with that you know with that article, yeah. or an express or implied delegation of power from Congress to the president. So, for example, they could write a law and say that in the law the president has the ability to do X. As long as it's not in 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 violation of the Constitution, okay. Uh, okay. Now remember, all, all of these executive orders are subject to uh, rebuke by the Supreme Court, and later on, I'm going to talk about the ones that some of the examples of some that did get knocked down. Okay. Now, going back to our fourth branch of government, if you recall, and all those unconstitutional agencies that we talked about. A majority of executive orders get proposed by these federal agencies. Okay. So a federal agency might have broad power on a particular law. Congress might pass a law, say that, hey, you need to control emissions. Uh, You need to control emissions uh, uh, from automobiles. And they may set some, like they call them cafe standards. Well, now that leaves an open checkbook for the EPA, for example, to write all kinds of regulations relative to that. Mm. They may say, okay, by uh, by the year, you know, 2035, you have to have this fuel standard and you have to have this and you have to so many, so many of your vehicles have to be electric vehicles. I mean, there could be all kinds of malaise going on there coming from this agency that they derived, quote unquote, their authority from this broad law that Congress passed. Now, as you and I talked about last time in uh, the uh, the uh, fourth branch uh, uh, episode, most congressmen would never sign laws that represented some of these regulations because they kicked their butt out of office. So in a way, they're cowards by creating these agencies yeah. and allow, yeah, you know what I'm saying? And, and allowing some bureaucrat that nobody knows, probably a 25-year-old that barely made it out of school, to write these regulations. Okay. Yeah. No accountability on their hands on the part where the accountability belongs. Yeah. And by the way, if you don't like one of those regulations, who are you going to call? Yeah. You know, 1-800-GET-LOST. That's what you fax like. them. I think the government still uses fax machines. <laughs> yeah. I heard they were using, going back to smoke signals, but <laughs> Well, I mean, seriously, you get into what they, what I call phone mail jail with these agencies, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and forget it. You'll never get out unless you hang up. Yep. Or now, they might hang up on you. That happens sometimes, too. Maybe when you do finally get through to a government agency and you finally start to express your grievances and dial tone. I got I've had that touch, I'm not going to tell you the gory story, but I got in touch with an IRS agent and she was unbelievably inept. And the biggest issue was she did not know it. I'll give you an example. She said to me, first she told me I never filed my tax returns for my business. Okay, well, after having written a six-figure check for my quarterly estimated taxes, she she told me, you never filed. And do you have a CP? So I've been doing this for 21 years, sir. I go, okay, well, you know, one year, 21 times probably, right? Um, But she says... (laughs) you haven't filed. Do you have a CP? I go, CP? What's that CP? You know, a CP, your accountant. 
You mean a CPA? Oh, yeah, 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 CPA. Oh, is that what they call that now? I go, yeah, they've been doing it for like 21 years, I said, you know. I mean, as long as she's been in the biz, this is what you're dealing with. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, I'm not trying to paint all public workers bad, but they don't always attract the brightest. Right. So there's a fine line though, between, and here's where the, the rub comes, Christy, a fine line between writing legislation through these executive orders. Okay. Which we know the president is not supposed to do. Okay. Now we did talk about regulations that are not executive orders that get, you know, doc, that get uh, uh, produced by these agencies that do have the power of law. And at the director of the president, he could say, hey, I wanted to see a law that does this. And DACA was a great example. Um, you know, so in a sense, now we've lost the checks and balances that made, to me, the checks and balances. And we did a whole episode on just the genius of the checks and balances and why that made our government so different. You you pointed out the difference between a parliamentary system where the prime minister, in this case the executive branch, is at the behest of the of the uh, of the parliament, which is analogous, of course, to to our Congress, right, in our Senate. So yeah. we have three separate, equally powered branches, and that, to me, is of all the things they did, um, the genius of our constitution. Well, now with the fourth branch, as we described in that last episode, that episode and also executive orders, we've now violated that check and balance control. Okay. And we'll get more into this in a minute. So fine line between writing legislation and just suggesting how you want to enforce a law. Because a lot of times these laws aren't clear in that regard, and that's maybe the intent of the executive orders. Now, with the exception, and you're going to love this one, of William Henry Harrison, every mm -hmm. president in our history, starting with George Washington, has issued what can be classified as an executive order. Oh, interesting. So only one. Now, I have a new favorite president. <laughs> William Henry Harrison. And which um, number was he? I don't remember. I want like now. I wish I had my flashcards with me. He was before okay. my time. I, he might not have been before your time, but he was before my time. Okay. That was an age. Yeah. Wow. I just insulted <laughs> you. right over my head. <laughs> if no, you're looking at look if you're looking on YouTube, it's obvious that Christy's younger than me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. Um, so here's the first one that Washington wrote, which is June 8th, 1789. Okay. This was directed more towards John Jay at the time, but he said, impress me with a full, precise, and distinct general idea of the affairs of the United States. That was considered the first executive order. That short little bit? Yep. What he said, I want, I want to know what you're doing in your roles as cabinet members, okay? That's kind of what this meant. This was like, hey, what the heck is it that you're doing that supports what we're trying to do with our government? And 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 that was an executive. Now, that that's okay because, again, he's the chief executive officer of the U.S., of the government. So, so in a sense, he's directing his organization to be accountable. It's kind of what okay. he was doing. 
And it's so it's like a directive. It's not like a law. It's just no, it's like not a law. No, none of these are the real laws, but some of them have the power of law, you know. And that's um, I'm gonna yeah Go interrupt real quick because I looked it up because I had to. Um William Henry Harrison was the ninth president <laughs> and he died in office like right away. Um no wonder he thirty second day. He was he was only president for a month, so no wonder he didn't do <laughs> Well, if it was like Biden. He could have probably hit the record. Yeah. First week. Okay, so, so that's the funny, um, that's the reason he didn't do it. Yeah, he didn't have enough time. Um, it's funny. The, the kid's youth pastor. He said one time his favorite William Henry Harrison is his favorite president because he didn't have time to mess anything up. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. <laughs> okay, so sorry, I had to go back. I couldn't get over that. By the to, way, by the way, look that one you know, up. Yeah, it's been an asterisk by his name. You know, you know, like on some of these sports records that you know, well, he did that because he had steroids. And they put an asterisk by his name. You know, maybe he needs an asterisk by his name, so we can't give him that much credit now, can we? Yeah. <laughs> um. Okay, so um, the most famous executive order was written by Abe Lincoln. Hmm. The Emancipation Proclamation. The proclamation, you yep. you mentioned that. Remember, a proclamation has is essentially an executive order in a different name, but it still has the same, you know, like ceremonial thing. form, like you said. Yeah. And, and by the way, he that was on September twenty second, eighteen sixty two, and he took a lot of heat over the of this because they felt they felt he did not have the power as president to free the slaves. Okay, there's a lot. There's a lot of discussion to be had around that topic Anz and i have actually been studying it really deeply so one day we'll have to do a whole episode on all of that the other side of the story you could say yeah i i think so because you know here's the thing right you said this last time and you've been saying this ever since i've known you you know you may like something but if it's not constitutional be careful what you ask for yeah Okay. Because if it's just used right now, you're like, oh, I like that. That's great. But like now that gate has been open and now it can be used. That tool is now available to be used for things you don't like. I use smoking as a great example. And I saw this coming down all the way through when it happened. I hate smoking. I won't go to a place that allows smoking. I never even tried it, by the way. My parents smoked. Me either. Me either. I never even tried it. Okay. And (laughs) I remember being in a car in the winter with the, the heat cranked up and both my parents smoking in the front seat and my sister and I gagging. I just hate it. I always hated it, right? You smell, your clothes smell. Okay, that's fine. I don't like smoking. But I don't agree with the government telling a owner of a restaurant or a bar that he or she can't allow smoking in his own establishment. It's a legal thing to do. And you know, let the market kind of decide whether or not you want to go there or not. If you don't like smoke, you don't go to the guy's bar. Okay. Yep. And, and he'll figure out from a market perspective what the right thing to do is. That's right. But to infringe on his rights as an owner of property, to me, is wrong. As much as I disdain smoking. Now, you're going to get a lot of people say, oh, I'm so glad they passed a law because I hate smoking. You're not thinking about well, like all the all the old country songs about the smoky bar room. When we went to Nashville, oh my gosh, like that's probably 20 years ago now when i went and you had back then you had all the smoky bars and i didn't like it because i don't like smoking and i was like hey you know kind of choking on it in there but they were packed like sardines in those bars so most people didn't mind or if they did mind like me they went in anyways because they just wanted to be there and enjoy the party so 
Yeah, but it's um, not something that you would have done on a regular basis. And that was your call. And, you know, hey, look, mm-hmm. if the guy's packing in everybody who likes to smoke and he, he's not losing any business, he's not going to be compelled to change it. Quite frankly, you know, I think that's his right to do that as a, as an owner. Yes, of the I agree. Mm-hmm. As much as I don't like smoking. Okay. Yes. That, that's not the issue. And this is what happened with tuition reimbursement and all kinds of other things that are going on, you know, and people aren't thinking constitutionally about these things so that's why we're doing this podcast um right so so anyway the mansion population but again that had a, they had a lot of heat okay and he did a couple other things too that later we'll we'll talk about now they didn't start tracking executive orders this is the u.s department of state until 1907 they started giving them numbers and the first one they gave a number to happened by Abe Lincoln, and it wasn't the Emancipation Proclamation, by the way. It was a month later. It was, uh, number one was issued by Lincoln. Hmm. And it happened to be the the executive order called Executive Order Establishing a Provisional Court in Louisiana. Okay? By the way, I have no idea what that's about, but the whole key with this one is that's where the word executive order got coined. Based on Lincoln, yeah, okay. On this particular link, uh, yeah, on this particular uh, executive order, it was called, and he named it, executive order establishing a provisional court in Louisiana. So ever okay. since then, they've been called executive orders. Interesting. Okay, yeah. I, yeah. I'm curious now to know more about that. I'll have to look that one up. Oh, you mean the particular, uh, the particular, uh, the court and stuff, yeah. the provisional yeah. court. I don't know. I don't know what that one's about. Uh, maybe we should look it up now. Yeah. <laughs> The most executive orders in history, FDR, is 3,721. So many. Your favorite guy. Now I see why. <laughs> yeah, no, my favorite guy is Woodrow, Woodrow, I have trouble saying his name, Woodrow Wilson. He started. 1,803. Made... He had like half of what FDR had. Okay. But FDR was in office for four terms. So he had, he had a longer time to be worse. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. Uh, mm-hmm. Coolidge had 1,203. By the okay. way, I'm going to a Calvin Coolidge event in New York City. Uh, he was one of the more constitutional presidents that we ever had. Okay. I'm going in December. I went last but yeah, year. Yeah, he did all those orders. Interesting. Yeah, 1,203. Yeah, well, you know, you also got to look at the the nature and quality of the orders and what they are. Some are more tyrannical than others. They're not all bad. Not all executive orders. Yeah, that's true. That's what I keep in, in mind here. I'm more concerned, Christy, and as you are, about the abuse mm-hmm. that happens once you give these guys a little bit of power. So when you become president, Mark, we, we're, we're campaigning for you when that happens. Um, so you should be like the first president other than the second president to not do any. You can make that a goal. I will issue an executive order that will ban executive orders. Yes. Yes. We'll campaign on that. <laughs> this is, of course, hiring you as my vice. No, Anne's is going to be my vice president. You'll be in my cabinet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, if you don't know Anza, she's uh, Christy's daughter. She's uh, probably one of the more constitutional minded kids you're ever going to. No, she's not a kid, she's a young lady, but uh, that, that you're going to meet. And that's. I think a function of her parents. 
Uh, yeah, and- it's pretty cool that both my kids know what's what's going on. I love it when they call out Congress, they'll see something happening and they're like, hey, they're not supposed to do that. <laughs> That's right. By the way, my grandson, Adam, who's going to be 14 at the end of this month, has been listening to our podcast. And he said, Poppy, he sent me a text the other day. He said, Poppy, I just listened to the latest episode. Great job. Keep up the good work. That's so cool. (laughs) Keep up the good. That's a good fan to have. Teddy Roosevelt, one thousand eighty-one, and Truman, nine oh seven. Those are the top guys. Okay. Gosh, so they just pumped them out, huh? Um, and that's after they were keeping track. Because I I remember hearing that um John Adams. That's everything, even when they weren't keeping track. Okay, that goes back to Washington. Yeah, Washington. but yeah, yeah. Well, and John Adams did the one where I forget what it was called. It had a weird name, but where he made it where you couldn't slander the president because yeah, they was, were slandering him, and he didn't like that. That and was then, uh, that was that was uh, Adams, right? Yes. Yeah, that and was so that he was did Alien Sedition Act, I believe. Yes, that's what it was called. Mm-hmm. And then um, Jefferson has like. I don't know, but like his first day in office, right? Very early on in his presidency, he undid that because he's like free speech. We're not doing that. Yeah, uh, Jeff, he got it. He got it. You know. Uh-huh. Um. So you mentioned this a, an episode or two ago that uh, all the things that happen, like uh, I think you're talking about amendments, and you said amendments kind of come in batches at times of a crisis or a war. Right. Yes. Remember that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not executive orders. Okay. It seems like whether it's some kind of economic crisis, a war, you know, we, we passed these trillion dollar spending bills like we did with COVID. And I do give President Trump as much as I'm a fan. I give him a black eye for that. Um, uh, so we see, we see this phenomenon that when the, when the country is in this euphoric, uh, maybe state of hysteria, maybe, that it's easier to get these things passed because we're not always, we're dealing out of emotion. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, and I, I still go back, I still go back to the, to, to, to the, to the hall of fame and major league baseball. You have to wait five years before you get voted on because the euphoria of that guy just, you know, retiring isn't put in perspective with history with, you know, with, you know, and it's not a perfect system anyway, what they have now, but at least they have enough sense to not let emotion, the emotion of the day uh, dictate who gets in the hall of fame. And, and it's no different than when you to the Republic versus democracy that we don't want mob rule based on some emotion. You mentioned Jesus Christ. He came into Jerusalem and on Palm Sunday, he was a national hero. And a week later he was crucified. Yep. All based Passions on change fast. rule, yeah, mob rule. Mobocracy, remember? They call it that, mobocracy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So interesting. And the insight that the founders had to, to figure that you out, know. it's incredible. So let's talk about abuses. Are you ready? <laughs> There's no shortage of those. Lincoln's pro- uh, Proclamation 94 suspended the writ of habeas corpus during the Civil War, okay? Uh, for those who don't know, habeas corpus is the right to a speedy trial and un, un, oh. unlawful detention, right? Okay. Really? Oh, gosh. I'm adding that to my study with Anza. Also, by the way, imprisoned the press during the Civil War. 
Yeah. Interesting. He did something. some naughty th- Lincoln did some naughty things. Okay. He really did. And that's yeah, we're gonna we're gonna dig into that. Well, I'm gonna give you that one. You take care of that one. I, you, you know, I mean he, I'm it, on it. There's all kinds of stuff when you start peeling the onion back on some of these guys that are you know and don't get me wrong, Lincoln was a phenomenal president and 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 what the the the, the intestinal fortitude he showed with slavery in the Civil War, but it wasn't always, you know. You know, sugar plums and uh you know <laughs> so well and it's not always about the sentiment it's about what is what is constitutional right whether we like it or not was it supposed to be done or not absolutely well this gets better okay 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 now truman uh on uh executive order, order 10 340 one, 10, place all the country's steel mills under federal control. Oh, that's bad. Now, Truman. what other types of governments do that kind of thing? <laughs> the we, commies like that kind of stuff. There you go. That's I mean, that's the definition of communism. They own all yeah. forms of production, right? And huh. so, yeah. And so, guess what? It was overturned by the Supreme Court. Oh, okay. Yeah, he got his he got his wrist slapped on that one. And said, "No, you can't do that." Okay. Well, he's the same guy, by the way, that sent troops to Korea to fight in Korea, and did oh. that, didn't remember we talked about this on the uh, yeah on, uh, yeah on the on the, the uh, war powers yeah the war powers in in in, in the uh, military industrial complex episode where he said, "Oh, it was a police action. And police is a police, police. action." 37,000 of our troops later who got killed there not counting the you know the injuries and everything else that went along with the Korean War um yeah that that was Truman okay wow and again the, the whole idea here is that and this 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 all ties back into the founders vision they did not want to give one person any kind of overbearing power which is why you had the checks and balances that we had the whole episode on checks and balances be, between the three branches. They they thought it was dangerous. This is why they didn't allow the president, even though he's a commander in chief, to declare war. They did not want to give that responsibility to any one individual. Okay. So this ties into these executive orders and the abuses that have followed with these. Now, our buddy uh, Bill Clinton actually used executive order to declare war on Kosovo in 1999. Now, eventually it was authorized by Congress. Okay. But he used an executive order, abuse of power. FDR, I have, I don't have the number, but declared a bank holiday and forbid banks to release gold or coin bullion. Now, and then in, in, in a 6102, he forbade the hoarding of gold bullion and gold certificates. And, he also, with another executive order, which I don't have the number, required all newly minted gold to be delivered to the U.S. Treasury. So this began the divorcement from the gold standard, okay, oh. which eventually was made official by Nixon in 1972. But we're going to do a whole episode on gold standard, okay, so I'm not going to get too much into the gold standard, but this laid the groundwork here. This guy, FDR, was an unbelievable uh, globalist, and he was an unbelievable disdain to the presidency, in my opinion, because he did so many things that damaged his country, not only for the time he was there, but for the long term. 
long-term damage. I mean, Social Security, as much as, you know, I know, you know, running for Congress, if you said this, you'd get kicked out right away. But it was an unconstitutional act. The government shouldn't be involved yeah. in in in, in uh, retirement plans. I mean, show me in the Constitution where that sits, right? And we're going to get into the general welfare clause, and people argue that, but the general welfare clause has a very specific meaning, not for an individual, but for the the good of the nation. So anyway, there's a lot of gray areas there that gets debated. Um, FDR on 6581 created the Export-Import Bank, Export-Import Bank of the U.S. And you can argue that's law, right? Think mm-hmm. about it. I mean, if we had to have a law in 1913 to enact the Federal Reserve Act, and the Federal Reserve Banks, we said there were 12 independent banks that are not government agencies. This is the same thing. Okay, he's enacting law here. In 6630, uh, FDR 6632 established the National Recovery Review Board. Now, here's the interesting thing about this. The national, and I, I'm, I'm showing this not to educate people on the National Industrial uh, Recovery Act, but to show how tyrannical and devious these guys are. Okay, so let's follow me on this one. Mm-hmm. The National Industrial Recovery Act that he established with this uh, Executive Order 6632 was ruled unconstitutional in 1934. Okay? okay? So all the activities by that board were unconstitutional, and he didn't have the right to establish that agency per his Section 2 powers, said the said the Supreme Court. Okay. So what does he do? He writes another executive order. Now follow me on this. And here's the words. By virtue of the authority vested in me under the said Emergency Relief Appropriation Act of 1935, okay, he reestablished the National Emergency Council to administer the functions of the now debunked NIRA, which is the National Industrial Recovery Act, okay? So in other words, so let me me put put it this way. Forget about the names for a minute. Yeah, he establishes an agency. Let's call it agency A. Okay. That gets deemed unconstitutional. He did that by executive order, and the Supreme Court says eh, eh, you can't do that. They killed it, and it was dead. He then establishes agency B, and says agency B is going to do the things that agency A used to do. So, so by definition. Agency A was ruled debunked. You can't, you know, they can't exist. They can't do this. But Agency B now does exist, and they're going to do exactly the same thing. Okay, because of an emergency, there was something about emergency order in there. Well, look, it was called the Emergency Relief Appropriations Act. He used that, yeah, to to re to re-establish their role, and their role was exactly what just got deemed unconstitutional in that other. Yeah. You see what I'm well, saying? Well, I mean, just on the surface, term, like emergency, they use emergencies to promote, you know, bad things. Well, it doesn't it's matter hard. what that agency was supposed to be for. He just, yeah, he just overtook it and commandeered it. It probably had. And he nothing, just did it again. Well, it's original. Like, thing, probably had nothing to do with the unconstitutional one that he set up. But he said, "Oh yeah, oh yeah." By the way, the things that that one's going to do, we're going to do it over here now. <laughs> so, the NIRA was unconstitutional, and they got deemed so. Right. He placed her unconstitutional powers under the NEC. Okay. And and so this is the hubris of these guys. This is the this is how these guys 
have no respect at all for our founding and for our constitution. Okay? Yeah, they should do what they want. By the power invested in me, by dot, 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 yeah, myself yeah, and, and whatever and, I want. And, 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 and there's so much of this going on. It's like, how does this nine guys in the Supreme Court and ladies keep track of all this? You got they, they, they can't opine on anything unless a case is brought in front of them. I don't know if you knew that yeah. enough. The Supreme Court can say there, oh, that bill just got passed last week. We're going to not. Yeah. They don't Someone has to. You have bring to bring it. a lawsuit to, and you have to have standing. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I don't know why citizens can't have standing. It's our constitution. But um, FDR also created the Na uh, National Labor Relations Board, the NLRB, which is still in existence today. Okay. And the regulations that the NLRB created are basically law. And I know hmm. this for a fact, because I, I negotiated a couple UAW contracts in my time. And the NLRB is the board that we had to go to, to be adjudicated on contract disputes and things like that. Okay. So, and they have law that you have to follow. Okay. And, and I'm somewhat familiar with a lot of the regulations and laws that NL, NLRB created. Congress never voted on those laws. Congress didn't even pass the NLRB. Um, as an agency, it got created by oh. FDR, Executive Order 6763. You see how this huh. works? Yep. This is how government gets bigger and how we lose our freedoms. Mm -hmm. There's, a, there's a, the inverse relationship between our freedoms and the size of government. Yep, totally. And then lastly, I'm going to stop picking on FDR, but he was such a tyrant. There's a lot to pick on there. Well, this is probably the worst one, okay? Uh his executive order 9066 led the pathway for 120,000 Japanese American citizens in the Western States to be sent to internment camps in World War II. These so are because I knew that that happened, but he did that through executive order. Executive order 9066. Wow. This, these were citizens of the U.S. Mm hmm. And they declared some of those area war zones and said, okay, well, they got to go to internment camps. It was targeted just at the Japanese. Okay. And he got away with it, by the way. Now, let's go to our buddy Bill Clinton. When I visited the White House, when Trump invited us in and we got to see the over office, I was fixated on the Lewinsky room. My wife says, what are you doing? Why are you looking at that room? I go, that's the most famous room in the world. More what so than you call it now. Well, I call it the Lewinsky room because a lot went down in there. I forget it. <laughs> okay. It. Uh, she looked at me and rolled her eyes. She says, you're a jerk, she says. you know. Yeah, totally. <laughs> okay. Oh, man. History. Uh, here's, here's a beauty. Bill Clinton on uh, Executive Order 12954 prevented the federal government from contracting with organizations that had strike breakers on their payroll. Think about that. I don't know, I don't know what that is. Oh, yeah, by the way. That got overturned by the Supreme Court. Okay. 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 Uh, Obama. This is now this this shows you the hubris, and I use another word if we weren't publicly being uh, broadcast here. Um, <laughs> in a State of the Union in 2014, I don't know if you remember this or not. He called it a year of action. And by the way, all the Democrats got up and applauded when he said this. He called this a year of action. He said. He is armed with a pen and a phone to take action where Congress wouldn't. Oh, I remember him so saying he was just like boldly embracing the overreach. 
He took his phone out of the, you know, he's not even trying to hide it. Okay. He took his yeah. phone out of his pocket and he took a pen out. Yeah, I have a phone, I have a pen. Okay. If Congress doesn't act, I will. Clearly a disdain for our founding and our constitution. He can't take action. He's the president. He's not a legislator. But this is, you give these guys a little bit of power. It's like giving, uh, you know, drugs to a, a drug addict. I mean, you know, it, it's these, and, and the founders had these guys nailed from day one. Okay. Oh. And to get applaud for it. They didn't believe any one person that had that kind of power. Because you imagine if Obama was king and, you know, what would happen to this country? Any of these guys, for the matter. I mean, you know. Okay, now, Joe Biden. I'm just going to go through the list of his abuses. Okay. A couple of these you're going to talk about. He put in, these are all through executive order from Joe Biden. You ready for this? I actually wrote them in red on my paper. They're so bad. He did a 100-day masking directive. He made a regular, if you will, an executive order making all masking on all public transportation. I don't care for trains, buses, um, airplanes. Reinstated membership in the WHO and the Paris Accords. Trump pulled this out. Okay, now, why is that bad? Because it feeds into the whole globalization of what's going on here uh, with, with, uh, with our government. And a lot of other reasons why it's bad. He directed the Department of Education to extend loan payments on school loans. He stopped all construction on the Keystone Pipeline. He placed a moratorium on oil and gas in Anwar, which is the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge up in Alaska. By the way, you wondering why your gas prices went up? Yeah. He reversed what they inappropriately deemed as the Muslim ban. Now, now a little history here. Trump said, we're going to stop immigration from terrorist countries. There were seven countries, and they're all Muslim-based countries, right? And he put a stop to importation, uh, import, to immigration from these countries, okay? And the Supreme Court, it got taken to the Supreme Court, and he was in his rights to do that as president, okay? okay. He was in his rights. Well, guess what? He reversed it. He reversed that. Biden reversed it? Okay. Yeah. And then he reinstated DACA. Okay. Mm-hmm. He stopped through executive order building the border wall. And you'll love this one. He stopped the deportation and ordered the release of 14,000 illegal aliens. Okay. They're all being held for trial. He released them into the into your backyard, into my backyard. Okay. Probably literally because we're both here in Arizona, right? That's just some of the things this guy did. Okay. All right. So the controversy is they've been executive orders have been controversial from the beginning. The scrutiny took a lot more and got on a lot more energy when FDR started his gamesmanship. Okay. That's where people really started sitting up and taking notice on these things. So there's a wide power view and a limited power view. And I'll just read these really quick. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt, who had 1,081 EOs, he said, the most important factor in getting the right spirit in my administration, next to insistence upon courage, honesty, and a genuine democracy, which is that word, by the way, democracy. Eye twitches. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Of desire to serve the plain people, I guess you and I are plain, was my insistence upon the theory that the executive power was limited only by specific restrictions and prohibitions appearing in the Constitution or imposed by Congress under its constitutional powers. Yes, he's correct. Okay. But he went on to say, I declined to adopt that view. And what was imperatively necessary for the nation could not be done by the president unless he can find some specific authorization to do it. So he's basically saying, screw you, Constitution. Screw you, Article. Yeah, he's like, he's like this is true, but I don't like it. Yeah. Disregard. He disagrees. Okay. Just like Goodness. Wilson disagreed when he said our Constitution was a theory. <sighs> it's law, Mr. Woodwell. What kind of name is Woodwell anyway? I can't even say it. Woodrow. 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 It's like death row. Anyway. Uh, now, the limited power view, which was William Howard Taft, who had 724. Okay. You got to remember, some executive orders aren't bad. Okay, they're not all, We're not trying to paint all executive orders bad. We're trying to focus on the abuse. And you give these guys an inch, they'll take a mile. Okay, and that's what yeah. happened. All right, here's what Taft said, which we both agree with. The true view of the executive functions is, as I conceive it, that the president can exercise no power which cannot be fairly and reasonably traced to some specific grant of power or justly implied and included within such express grant as proper and necessary to its exercise. Such specific grant must be either in the federal constitution or in an act of Congress passed in pursuance thereof. I'm going to come back to that word in a minute. There is no undefined residuum of power which can be can which he can exercise because it seems to him to be in the public interest. Right? That's what you've been saying. Yeah. Yep. That's right. Well, I think it'll be in the public interest to uh give all Christie's money to uh to Mark Deluzio. Because Mark <laughs> Mark is smart and he'll do the right thing with it. Christie doesn't know what she's doing. Yeah, and free pizza for everybody who's paying for it. Let's do it, right? You know no matter. Gonna, how did you know I was going to buy pizza? <laughs> what about the lactose intolerant people? <laughs> well, screw them. Come yeah. On. But uh, yeah, so the public interest, way, Italians, even if it Italians, sounds good. Italians aren't lactose intolerant. Okay, let's look at that. <laughs> no, because no, we, drink, we drink wine, okay? Uh, um, no. <laughs> but let me go back to this pursuant theory, because that is a word, that was a phrase out of the Constitution. Okay. okay. Pursuant thereof basically means it's the laws passed. So let me read it again. Such specific grant must be either in the federal constitution, got that, Article 2 in particular, yep. or in, in an act of Congress passed, that means laws, yes. in pursuance thereof, pursuance thereof the constitution, what was allowed in the constitution. Mm -hmm. In this yep. case, he's talking most likely about the enumerated powers of Congress, the 17 uh, enumerated powers, okay? Pursuant thereof, which means that Congress can pass a law that's not constitutional. He's saying, no, nope, I ain't playing there, okay? He had it right, okay? Then he said, there's no undefined residue of power which he can exercise, he being the president, because it seems to him to be in the public interest. In other words, 
your opinion doesn't matter as president, quite frankly, if, you know, if it's, I mean, you can agree or disagree on a law being passed as long as it's in the confines of the, you know, inconsistent with the constitution, but your opinion, like when, when, when Biden said, Hey, we're going to pay everybody's tuition. Taft could say, no, well, well, no, there's two reasons why you can't do that. One, yes. it's unconstitutional spend. And two, the president can't spend money. Yep. The power of the person is with Congress. So Taft had it right. Okay. Good for him. But it's it's good to hear that someone had it had it right. Well, it's amazing yeah. how these power hungry presidents just want to go outside the bounds of what they're what they swear to oath on. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um so again, Biden's tuition reimbursement scan. So many in the public love that. Oh yeah, my God, I'm getting my tuition paid. It's about time. About time. You measured you majored in basket weaving, you can't find a job. And it's like now it's about time. Okay. Um, our view, quite frankly, Christy, and I think you and I talked about this, is that the president, if the president exceeds his constitutional authority when he uses presidential presidential directives to set policy to make law, he can't make law. Okay, that is expressly granted to Congress. And again, I want to go back to the fourth branch episode. If you guys want to go back and listen to that, I forget what number that is, but. You can find it on our website, 1787solution.com. When executive orders result in the president having both the executive and legislative authority, that's where we lose our freedoms. Yes. And as in all, many of our episodes come back to the same solutions, like knowledge, right? We need to know this stuff. And then once we know it, like... We need to uh, nullify these things, ah. preferably, <laughs> you know, and um, which we'll learn more about in the next episodes coming up too. But how we need to, like, like for example, Biden did the the hundred day mask mandate, right? Like, right. What he can't do that doesn't fit the balance, not the parameters, not his job. And if everybody just didn't do it, just don't, just don't wear them, just don't put the mask on, you know. Yeah, but what, but what they were doing is they were in they were they were engaging police to arrest you. And mm-hmm. I tell you right now, I would have loved that. I would have loved to be. <laughs> I, I really would have because, boy, I, I I'd retire forever if that happened. You know, mm-hmm. there was a there was a woman in uh, on the town council in Nashville who wanted to make a law that said if you're found without a mask you're going to be charged with attempted murder. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. And it's not a joke. They, they, she was serious about this. Okay? This is what these Yeah. You know. And with that I want to ask because you just brought it back to the state level there. Um these executive orders and stuff because our state governments what does it say um in the constitution every state is granted the right to a republican form of government right so these same ideas carry on to the states and they have more freedom to with how they want to handle certain things thereafter but the executive orders also that's a governor is the executor of the state correct so they have the same restrictions right Like, like a governor can't write law either no no for the most part no no now let's remember the supremacy clause of the constitution that says basically the law is the law the federal law is law of the land you can't violate it no matter what state you are 
as long as the law is, I'm going back to that word, pursuant thereof. If the law is pursuant thereof, we talked about this in the nullification episode, right? Where if the law is pursuant thereof, it means it's in concert with the Constitution and it is the law of the land. If it's not in pursuant thereof, you have the not only right at the state level, but the obligation to nullify it. Okay, now, what I talked about today was primarily executive orders at the federal level. There may be some nuances from constitution to constitution between the states that allow yeah. different things. Okay. Yeah. But I think in general, the same thought process as it relates to the federal uh, thinking around uh, executive orders applies to the states as well. Where, you know, when Doug Ducey said, hey, uh, you know, you can't have more than 25 people in your restaurant and a church can't have more than 400 people. Yeah. I wish I owned a restaurant at the time because I would have been arrested. And I would have then I would have personally sued. I wouldn't have sued the government. That's a that's a that's a long road. I would personally sue all these guys. Personally. Yeah. Okay. Individually. Now, whether or not I have standing to pursue to sue them personally, they're still gonna have to defend it and they have to spend money on it. Yep. And, and you know, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, maybe they'll stop doing this stuff. Okay. I would yeah, sue some repercussions past that. I would sue the mayor. I would sue the representative of that district. I would sue, and I don't care what side of the aisle they are, I would sue the mm-hmm. governor, okay, personally. Now, if the court says, well, no, you're going to have to throw that out because you, you don't have standing, you can't sue them personally, they're still going to have to spend funds on, on legal. And that's exactly what the Democrats do to us, okay? Well, and maybe just then they'll think twice about passing these type of mandates, you know? Yeah, to be some sort of, some sort of accountability there. But we just rolled but- over. You know, but, but for some reason, though, yeah. I'm maybe thinking some of your thunder, but, you know, Walmart stayed open. Oh, yeah. We're going to get into all <laughs> that in the next episode. <laughs> By the way, what was your problem with the 100, 100 day mask mandate? Do you, you thought it should have been like 99. Is that what your problem was? Oh, yeah. Like yeah. zero, zero, <laughs> zero. All right, Christy. I, to this know. day, have not put a mask on, not once. No. <laughs> not even, not even been able for, to get around it. Not even for Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> I had to. I, I couldn't get on an airplane. I fly for a living, you know, and I couldn't get on an airplane. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, oh, it's you harder not, depending you know, on what you're involved. One of the things in. I went through with the whole mask thing, traveling was incredible. You would not believe. Maybe I'll, maybe I could tell some of those stories as you get into your episode. I can't wait to see to hear your episode. It's going to be fun. So this was episode thirteen. You're going to do 14, which is, what are you naming that episode anyway? The first one will be in two parts. The first one will be called Tyranny of the Fearful, and the second one will be called Liberty of the Brave. Ooh, I like that. I like that. Oh, you're going to do it in two parts. Two parts. There's awesome. a lot there. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. You could probably do 10 parts on that. Whole oh, my gosh. I know. So much. Right. Christy, look, look, you know, the bottom line here is that our checks and balances are at are at risk mm-hmm. with the fourth branch of government, these unconstitutional agencies, and the way the presidents actually exceed their authority with executive orders and proclamations to some degree. And um, it's an infringement on our constitutional rights. And to me, that is grounds for impeachment when you take the oath to uphold the Constitution and then you intentionally break it. You know, why wasn't the Republicans when Obama stood up there with his pen and phone impeaching him? Why wouldn't Wilson, when he said the, the Constitution is a is a theory, 
Where were the where were the where were the legislators then? Saying, well, wait a minute, you, no, 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 you, you can't do that. Okay. And then when they go do it, they let them get away with it. Because you got to remember the Supreme Court can't handle everything and they can't sit there and judge. They have to have a case brought in front of them. This takes a lot to bring a case in front of the Supreme Court. I'm sorry, you know, and, and then they're gonna pick, they get they get thrown, you know, thousands of cases a year, and they're gonna pick a handful to work on. They can't work on everything. So I'm worried more about those the smaller ones that chip away at our freedoms than some of the real big ones. Yeah, it's easier target for the tyrants and it's harder to fight for the good guys. I mean, from a from a process, you know, I'm a, I do process improvements with uh, my business. I would have loved to have seen every law have to be scrutinized by some Supreme Court type body. Every law goes through, okay? But it doesn't work mm -hmm. that way. And these guys know that and they pass these laws and they get away with it. So maybe one of the founders uh, failings in terms of not having a more robust judicial review. But yeah. they never thought that thousands of bills would get passed every year. I, I'm sure they would never imagine thousands, so of thousands of and how long the bills are. It's just like, well, how do you ugh, keep track so of all these laws, first of all? Yeah. How do you do that? How do you just... know what law you're breaking? Somewhere, somewhere along the line, you're breaking the law. If somebody ever want to hold you to it, and that's what Trump's going through now, okay? Yeah. You know where you you're supposed to have a crime and then find out who did it. Now they're saying, "Oh, let's take the man and find out what crime he created." That's totally ass backwards when it comes to our form of justice. But it's a mess. It's been a bridge. So, <laughs> Christy, I'm going to see you on the other side. We're going to do 14. All right. Tyranny. Too much of it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Chrissy Tyrone, Mark Deluzio, calling from sunny Arizona. Today is, uh, well, it's the middle of November and it's 75 degrees here, so I kind of like it. <laughs> All right. We'll see you around the uh, on the other side. Uh, thanks. Mark Deluzio, Chrissy Tyrone. Go to 1787solution.com to get all of our episodes that we release. We release two a month. One on the first of the month and one on the fifteenth, and uh, also go to Apple Podcast. You can you can catch us on YouTube, Constitution Solution, one podcast under God, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Constitution Solution, one podcast under God. You can find other episodes on our website at seventeen eighty seven solution dot com, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're your hosts, Christy Tyrone and Mark Deluzio. Until next time, may God bless you and may God bless America.